Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And my listeners, you know that I love bringing to you people who are focused on their own growth and development as leaders. And they're also committed to helping others realize their full potential. And I'm very excited to welcome as my guest today, Phil Rhodes. Phil, welcome to my show. Thank you. And thank you, Meredith, for having me. Well, it's going to be such a great conversation because of all the wonderful work you're doing. So let me introduce you to my audience before we jump into my questions for you. Phil is the head of learning and development, excuse me, learning and leadership development at WM, formerly Waste Management, a Fortune 250 company and North America's largest environmental services company. And I want to extend a special congratulations. This is hot off the press today. Phil and his team were just named bronze winner of the Learning in Practice Award by Chief Learning Officer. So, Phil, congratulations to you and your team on that. Thank you so much. We are so proud of the work uh, that we built last year. We actually built and deployed the program in less than six months, Meredith. So it was an amazing partnership with the business, with uh, all the different pieces of the learning team and leadership development team. We've had over 1,200 graduates of the program. And what's really exciting for this is for those, it's a six-month immersive program, uh, cohort-based. So Mm -hmm. it's a commitment, as you can imagine. And of the roughly 1,200 graduates, we've had 300 who had to drop out, just they couldn't couldn't manage it with their schedules. Yet, if you looked at those who graduated from the program, there is a 96% retention rate of those leaders. And of those who could not complete the program, the retention rate is 72, 73%. So it is an over... Uh, you know, 20% uh, increase in retention of our leaders. And I think it just goes and shows that when you invest in your leader and your people, not only as a company, but real meaningful development, um, it just pays forward, right? Mm-hmm. Not only pays forward as a leader with your people, but it also pays forward in their development and, and, and the value that we're sharing with them. So just excited, not only about the program, um, but also the investment we're making in our frontline leaders, because that's such a critical role. It sure is. Let's back up just a moment. I want to go deeper into that program. It, it, and congratulations on that retention rate. That's a remarkable yeah. figure that many people, I'm sure, will immediately say, I got to talk to Phil and find out <laughs> what they did. <laughs> but I know you've also had some great experiences in your journey in this whole learning and development world. So mm-hmm. just tell us briefly about, you know, what brought you to what you're doing today at um, WM? Sure, sure. So it's it's been a journey. Uh, when I graduated from college, I joined the Peace Corps. Uh, I don't even know if I mentioned this to you, Meredith, but I joined the Peace Corps. I served in a little country called Lesotho, which is inside of South Africa. 
Mm. Um, uh, amazing experience. And one of the things, so I had been classically trained in foreign languages and French. I actually have a minor in French from undergrad simply because, not because I declared it, it just sort of happened. I studied abroad, I was interested. And yet that was probably six years of training, education. Yet in the Peace Corps in three months, I learned a the local language in three months and had to take a fluency exam and and, and got to a you know a, a fluency kind of at a a um, conversational level in three months. The whole learning training approach was completely opposite of how I'd been trained to to learn French, and that sparked my interest in learning. And it was very experiential based. Then when I came back from the Peace Corps after five years, uh, I was working at the headquarters of Peace Corps at the, in the training and development department. I was also became an outward bound instructor, which is built off the same experiential based learning philosophy. And that really ignited my passion. Um, I was a trainer. Then I went got, got my master's in organization development from American University. And that really launched me into an organ OD consulting role, ultimately into an HR and learning role, change management. So my foundation came as a trainer um, and really that passion around growing and developing people. And it's interesting because when you sit in the world of L&D, you know, you have your your analysis design consultants, you have your developers, you have your analysis kind of valuation, then you have the trainer role. So I actually came up as a trainer. And, and I think it's really helped me in my kind of head of L learning and leadership development, really just understand how important as a trainer, you, in my mind, and through my experience, you, you are the culture ambassadors to a company. Because mm -hmm. for many new hires and many leaders and many kind of upskill future skilling it's all done through the trainer's lens and so how you carry yourself how the words you use uh what the company chooses to really invest in really shows in my mind that ambassadorship of a culture and really that culture champion and so i really you know uh am excited about that and then i fortunately i've worked just at some incredible companies uh hilton hotels and resorts comcast verizon worked in some boutique consulting firms and had the opportunity to just flex and learn in this space and so I'm just so fortunate to have had that opportunity from starting as a, a trainer in Africa to where I am today. So that kind of has, um, you know, it's in my DNA, I guess I should say. That's a that's a great overview, and thank you for kind of going back to your origin story around yeah. around that. It's so fascinating what can trigger our interest in mm -hmm. something. I know that you joined WM in 2021, and one of the things that you were interested in doing when you got here was kind of taking a look at what needs to be changed in this whole area of L&D. What were you seeing or what were you being told or what did you learn about what was it that wasn't working as well as it could and what changes were needed? Sure. So I am a firm believer that any learning people org HR function is business led and learning supported, right? So we need to, and what I did in that instance was go out to the business and understand what are the business needs in the in the function. And, and most business leaders can tell you right out, or they may not know the learning L&D language, but if you listen, you could hear, you can hear clear themes. So I started on a listening tour. 
we did lots of focus groups, understood, and then kind of took that information and, and nailed it down into some top five trends. One of them was leadership development. You know, we were coming out of, I joined the company during the pandemic. Our leaders and frontline force were essential workers, so they never shifted to remote or hybrid. Uh, as you know, I'm sure you personally experienced, it was a tough time. There was a lot of uncertainty. We're going through social unrest, political unrest. Then you follow that with economic unrest. I mean, there was just so much change going on that impacted all of us. And here our workforce was required to show up day in and day out to meet the needs of the the the, the uh the country. And so as part of that listening tour, there were many things that came up, but number one was let's focus on our frontline leaders. They are the lifeline to ensuring our frontline employees are cared for in very difficult times. And as the, as we were growing and kind of shifting to the needs, they were the ones that messaged that. Right. So that I've always felt like that frontline leader role, you shift one space and you hear what the company's asking. And then you've got to shift the other space and put that into the words that work to your frontline leaders. Cause they don't want to hear about business. You know, the frontline employees don't want to, they, they don't care about, I mean, they care about strategy, but they want to know what's this mean to me. And that frontline leader role is such a pivotal space to be able to understand the direction of the company. Uh, and, and we really had a people first commitment. We would do no layoffs. Right. We would ensure 40 hours work pay, even as we are flexing through this whole shift and not knowing what was happening. And our frontline leaders were critical to be able to just say, look, we're people first. We're here for you. We don't know what's happening, but we're going to pay your 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 wages and ensure that you and your family are cared for. And so that came through loud and clear. And we realized our leaders needed help and how to, to to really lead through so much transition. And so, but to your question, that came out as one of those top priorities. And that just came from that listening business requirement gatherings. We also had to realize we had to reorganize the learning and development function. We were not organized to meet the business needs coming out of the pandemic. So that was another outcome that came uh, came through there. So just a great opportunity to listen to the business. And, and amazingly, since it was business led, you know, people support it. It's amazing what we accomplished in such a short amount of time. Like I mentioned, we formed a tiger team to build the program, did it in less than six months, piloted it and got it out. And that was really through the support of the business and an incredibly passionate learning team that, that we have here at WM. So let's dive deeper into that. It's fascinating. Everything you just said. And, and I think that um, some of my listeners involved with learning and development, <clears throat> recognize the importance of those frontline leaders. I think a lot of training programs are geared higher mm -hmm. many times. And so I'd love to hear more about how did you determine what needed to go into it in terms of content? So that's question one. And then number two is what did you determine was the best way to deliver that content to ensure they didn't just learn it, in terms of knowledge, but actually applied what they learned. Sure, sure. So the, as we all know, in the learning function, the pandemic brought on virtual learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a, it was required. Company our size, 50,000 employees across North America and India, we needed to leverage the virtual platforms. Uh, and 
so that I would just start with that. So there was an incredible opportunity to showcase that we in the L&D space could actually bring efficacy to virtual delivery. And we have just through our engagement. So that was one piece that just got taken off the the conversation because it had to happen. The other from a design is a real principle around cohort learning, right? I think we've all heard of the 70-20-10 rule or the three to one. Yet, you know, the days of trainers, L&D being the specialists and the experts, and you must, you know, we we command a classroom and we we own that and all learning comes through through us is no longer how learning works with adults. And I think we've always known it. We're just now flexing to it. So we really uh, based it on cohort learning. It was an immersive program. It started as a 12-week program. It shifted into a 26-week program because we we realized we were putting and packing too much in too quickly, especially to that application piece. And we called it stickiness. How do you ensure it's sticking? Right. Mm-hmm. Not just sitting in the classroom and role playing, but how does it get to the stickiness? And we had a we had a program to that we evolved there. But I think the other thing is just what I mentioned, we piloted a program with one group, our sales group. We iterated then into the second pilot to our operations and took lessons learned. And then ultimately got into the third pilot, which was the closest to what we launched nationally. And in each of those, what the other thing we did is we took what the learnings were and we shared that back to the business and how we were going to differentiate or shift. So mm-hmm. that the we had focus groups in here, but it was all iterative, right? It wasn't give us feedback and we do nothing with it. We really evolved the program to meet the needs of the business. And then we also added in um, core content. I, um, you know, we started with know thyself as a leader. It's something I'm just passionate about. It's very difficult to lead if you don't know yourself and your preferences, you know, and leading is about not making others adjust to you. It's about you adjusting and hearing others and meeting them where they are so they can they can accomplish what they want, that servant leadership mindset. So we really went with know thyself as a leader, how to build trust. That's the, the next design. Then how to give feedback. Then how do you coach to success? Then we had a, 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 a creating an inclusive uh, environment from a DEI perspective, and then lastly was very tactical: the art of behavioral interviewing, because we were going through such retention issues as everyone was, and a lot of hiring. So we knew we needed to re kind of lay that foundation on that piece. So that was our design. Yet I would say that was the least. Um, discussed. We worked on that ourselves, but where we really uh, accelerated, and we call them accelerators, we added in some accelerator pieces to elevate the learning. One was social engagement. We have a Teams channel that is uh, uh, narrated and curated by a producer to drive engagement pre, post, during classroom, and in between the sessions. We added a element around um, coaching. So we we brought virtual coaching to all participants. We offered it through them through a through a partner. And, and imagine that you know we democratized coaching and brought that to the frontline leaders. And it was coaching that was aligned into our curriculum. But we said, look, go where you need to go as a leader, mm-hmm. right? If you're struggling with work, you know, life balance, then that's what you need coaching on in that moment. It was unlimited coaching for four months. 
However, if it was around building trust, then the all of the coaches that were assigned to our 600 participants understood our curriculum and design, and we collaborated on that. So they could reinforce what we were talking about and, and, and they were collaborating on in the classroom. Uh, and that we weren't sure if that would work. If someone told me, you know, Phil, trash companies don't do stuff like this. Environmental services don't doesn't do that. We well, said, so, well, let's see if it works. And it landed well. We had 92 percent uh, participation. And the overarching feedback is it was life-changing to have access to a coach to really develop and grow them. And imagine that, Meredith, you're modeling coaching. So we've got certified coaches coaching our participants while they're growing their cap coaching capability, right? And that's that immersive kind of uh, mesh that went through the program. So you're not just learning, you're not just talking amongst your peers, but you're actually role-playing it as a participant, right? And then you're being asked to model it, right? And you're being modeled by a certified coach that we vetted through. So those are just a few of the elements. And one of them, getting back to that, what we called stickiness, we called it a demo back, or role play, we engage the managers of the participants and then their HR partner to actually go back with a playbook and practice before they went to their teams with that that demo back group, how they were going to talk about, uh, you know, have a difficult conversation around attendance, or maybe talk around how do you have a huddle with your team that isn't one way, that's more open-ended. And so we created that demo back accelerator so everyone had the opportunity to practice before they delivered it. And that really drove the stickiness. And that's where the business was such critical partners for us. They they owned that piece. We just set up the framework and playbook and they ran with it. Well, a natural question that comes from that, and I love all these accelerated pieces. I think that's great. The managers were working with the supervisors who attended your course. Where did the managers learn to be coaches? So interesting, Meredith, because we had a lesson learned. We started with them. Before the program started, we had a participant kickoff. And then we had a manager of the participants kickoff. And we did a two-hour dry run of the content in their role. What we found interesting as an opportunity was the demo back allowed them to support their participant. But many times they didn't really understand the foundational content around building trust. And there was a gap there. So when we started the second round of participants, we opened up a third of the seats to the managers of the frontline leaders. Mm -hmm. And a third of the seats wasn't taken. We actually increased the number of seats available to the program. So we still cared for the 600 roughly frontline leaders, but we were able to add in 200 managers. And there's a, you know, there's far less of them across the company because they asked for it because they're like, this is great. I understand what I'm doing in the demo back, but I don't, I'm not as well-versed now as my frontline supervisor. I want more. And so we started that with the second cohort and this third cohort, we've added up those seats again for the managers of the frontline leaders. And we've actually almost gotten through all those management roles just through the two cohorts. So we, a lesson learned, we, we did the, the quick and down and dirty. Here's the program, here's your role. And we realized that just wasn't quite enough. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes perfect sense because just thinking about where did those managers learn those skills? I think that's fabulous. So did they also have access to the virtual coaches? Yeah, all the same so. accelerators, right. And then, you know, the other thing, 
You know, we really seize the opportunity, as I mentioned, coming out of the pandemic and all the unrest to really position a growth mindset. So, you know, as you're going through adversity and trauma, there's a lot of research around how you how you can uh, uh, take that trauma and shift into a victim or growth mindset. Right. right? And we really positioned the understanding and the empathy of, of what you're going through as a leader and what your people are going through right now to say, this is around your growth so you can grow and support your people through our commitments and values. We have a really strong people first commitment here. And this, this just, just saying that, I think Meredith almost took like, like a burden off your chest and off your shoulders to say, you're right, I don't have to own this. Um, and, 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 and let's own it collectively and let's invest in the growth of our leaders so you can model investing into your people. And interesting, while we were doing this, we were all go, also going through an, an amazing retention, you know, tension in our business, as most businesses were. So we started separate from this roundtables around understanding what the triggers were for retention at local areas. And one of the things, if you took that data with the investment in our frontline leaders, We've seen already this year over a 1% decrease in our retention across the company. And then we've seen a dip even more so in certain isolated markets. And that's millions of dollars in savings to the business, right? Mm -hmm. And that understanding of the investment in your leaders is going to impact the investment in, in the retention. And let's take care of our, our people. It was a tough, tough time. And let's acknowledge that and come in with a curriculum that's around um the health of a leader, right? The health of your people, how to create belongingness, right? How to create a coaching environment where people are allowed to, to, to be upset, right? In a respectful manner, yet also understand I'm in a safe place where I am safe coming to work. Mm -hmm. I just love everything you've said. You know, it's hearing you talk about it, it's so obvious. This is how businesses should be run, right? Mm -hmm. But they aren't. One of the things I so admire about WM is that people first philosophy didn't start with you. It started at the very top, right? Mm -hmm. With your, your CEO. And <clears throat> I would love for you to share how does Jim Fish, you know, manifest this on a day-to-day -day basis? So every and how did he communicate this in a way that everybody from senior leadership team on down embraced it and lives in it. What does it look like? Yeah, so when Jim started, I can't even tell you the exact number of years, he started with people first. We, 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 as a company, we, we, we will grow through our people. We will, um, you know, bring in this new sustainability strategy through our people. So he truly is a just genuine believes and understands and advocates that people are the backbone of this company. So we started there. Um, he continues to, he, he was part of our graduation. He uh, right now we're uh, he, he's just been an advocate for everything we're doing. And as you can imagine, these programs cost dollars and resources and we were able to show through the pilot, which we funded internally within our L&D budget, that, that this landed, this is working. We're getting, we're seeing the retention results. We're seeing the results from uh, the coaching. We're seeing testimonials from the participants. We're hearing from the managers. 
And so as we were looking to expand that, he was one of our advocates to ensure that we had the funding to scale this to all of our leaders. So he 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 doesn't just talk about it. He le- lives and breathes it. And uh, he's just been a huge advocate. And, and thus, all of our senior leaders talk about this, this investment in people and a people first culture way before we even tagged it people first. It's just been kind of our commitments and values and how we operate. Mm-hmm. And I wild. think even, you know, one thing I'd say going through the pandemic, the first thing that came out was we will pay you 40 hours of work. We are committed to that while we figure out what we're doing. There was no discussion of layoffs or cutting your pay. And if you remember back when the pandemic started, that was number one. How am I going to put food on the table for my family, for myself, for my mm-hmm. parents, for my dogs? I mean, my community. And here, that was how we started. So let's just take that off the table and now figure out what we're going to do next. And I think that's just another example of Jim just clearly, that was the first thing he said. And that's what we committed to. And then the business strategy came after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, just imagine when people who work there would hear other people from other organizations either getting laid off or hours cut and pay cut. What a difference that had to make in terms of the overall feeling mm-hmm. of people there um, yes. and, and how they felt about the company. I would think that in itself would cause um, a, an increase in retention mm-hmm. just because of their sense that the company really does care about us. Yes, yes. And then you put the economic pressure of some people, you know, there were new opportunities. People were deciding on whole new careers, right? People were really taking a kind of a index of, of what, what does it matter for me? So I, I agree that our retention would have been much worse um, had it not been for that. The other thing that we promoted at this time, so if you also remember what was happening with university and education. So we also came out in 2021 with a um, an education benefit. And it's not a benefit, is you as an employee can get your high school diploma, certificate, associate, bachelor's, even a master's degree fully funded by the company uh, through through a partner. And then we extended that a few months later to dependents of our employees. So just another example of, you know, as and I've got college age kids, I had kids going into college who went and came back. I had, you know, just what happened with high school, I had kids in high school, there was a lot of unknown in that space. And I think just leaning in once again, and something that's just so core to, 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 to and it's not even a parent, it's almost all of us. As an aunt, an uncle, an individual in your community, your neighbors, we all understand the, the, the futures with our children and education is a differentiator. So let's support that in real times of uncertainty. So there was just another example of a people first initiative when we didn't even talk about people first. We It just was what we do. There's so much uncertainty. Let's lean in and take that stress off you know, our employees take that stress so that they can know that their their children themselves, their spouses can all continue to grow and develop through education. Yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that, because I think what you've got there is very, I haven't heard of it in the expansive way that you um, have it, because you've got this partner that makes it possible for people to participate in educational programs through more than 100 different um, 
educational institutes, let's say. Talk a little, and, and, and it's not just the individual employee. You were saying any dependents. So who's included in under that umbrella that would qualify? Right. It just follows right into our benefits offering. So if a dependent is identified there, that's who's available and eligible. Um, and I think one of the things that's interesting, uh, Meredith, if you think about kind of traditional learning and development, we didn't always think expansively into external, right? Yet we really are leveraging the offering for internal career development for all of our employees. So, and, and it doesn't have to be directly into what's necessary for your role, right? A skill base. So I can just tell you on my team, I have quite, I have a handful of people getting certifications from Cornell and um, across just a variety of uh, programs. And so I think for us, one of the things we need to remember as L&D leaders and even business leaders is don't think that an external offering isn't something that should be brought into the internal offering and integrated, right? And that is part of the, the career development support that we offer to our employees. And let's make that very distinct so they understand that. Um, so, but we partner with our benefits uh, uh, lead within the organization uh, and it's really managed as a benefit across the organization. And, and we just work back through, as you'd mentioned, like a dependent is those that are identified through our benefits uh, enrollment. I have to think that that also feeds into retention when people feel they're given, they're respected for their desire to learn more. And it also supports this growth mentality that that you're advocating. Yes, if you look at our growth, you know, we're, we're, we started as a, a collection, waste collection company. We've really grown into the one of the largest North American sustainability companies, leader in recycling, organics, uh, renewable energy. And so uh, there's a real investment into that future growth in the company, which as you can imagine is an enormous shift. And I always talk about this as leadership, right? Leading, and one of my daughters just graduated from an undergrad and is actually in environmental sciences. And she's looking at roles as a, uh, a carbon auditor, which I never even knew was a profession, right? It is the future. Imagine bringing that sort of individual and leader into an organization that more was traditionally in the waste collection. And so in the space of leadership development, we also need to adjust how we're uh, uh, developing and growing our leaders to harness the new talent that's the future growth of this company, mm -hmm. right? And, it, it, and as you can imagine, there's a generational issue, right? Because uh, many of the, yeah. the sustainability are, are, you know, newer into the generation. And so we've got to take that into account. So for, for us, it's just such an exciting time around how do you ensure you're equipping and, and allowing your leaders to grow as the company's growing in its business strategy. So once again, back to that business-led, people supported, right? That is happening as a business strategy. And we're here to support you know, our leaders as they as they grow into that space. So it goes right, like you said, mentioned into that growth mindset. Well, the other thing I wanted to just have you explain a little bit, because you referenced it, but didn't really talk about what does it look like? How does it work? Is this whole idea of cohort learning? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you've got that in place really across the company, as I understand it, right, in geographic mm -hmm. areas. What exactly is that and how does that work? Sure. So once again, if you sit back at from a business perspective, 
uh, we're and we're going to open up a leadership program. One of the things an operations leader says is, well, how am I going to keep the lights on? Right? I can't have too many route managers, too, customers, too many customer service supervisors in a program. And the program actually, uh, once per month, you meet for a four-hour virtual instructor-led course. And then there's a 90-minute in between those every four weeks to talk application and, and, and give feedback on your demo back. So from a business perspective, what we positioned was, well, we need cohorts across roles across the company because that enables the business to run. It also creates relationships. It also creates, I'm not going crazy. There are people all across the country uh, in my role or different roles who are also experiencing the same thing. And then it also just allows you to share best practices. So it was an easy, easy position with the business because we were meeting that business need of, I still need to keep the clock, you know, the lights turned on here. Mm -hmm. And then from a learning perspective, we opened up 25 classes of up to 40 learners and it was open enrollment. And we worked through our HR uh, people solutions leads in each of the areas to partner with their business leaders around identification of placement into the cohorts with that real lens on first um, one, let's make sure we don't impact any one group and have too many people in the same course. So we organize those with different days, different time zones so that the business was never at a stress point. And it just naturally created cross-functional, cross-state um, cohorts and the classes range anywhere from usually 30 to 40 people. So it just, and, and we just ensured that we cared for all the different time zones. Uh, so we could, so all of North America, Canada and the United States could have opportunities to join at the right time. We even opened up a late shift course cohort for those working a late shift. So we were just trying to be as flexible to the needs uh, of keeping the lights on while still, which then naturally creates this, this cohort environment. Were these folks who had graduated from your first line leadership program or were they currently involved with it or is this totally separate? This was the same. So the program is really set up. We have um, so we had roughly thirty six hundred frontline leaders, regardless of title. So leaders of hourly employees. We started with our hourly and we uh, have put 1,200 through, have participated in the program. We have another 600 going through now. And so we're really working back through the incumbent base. We started originally with those at least six months in the role uh, with the belief that in the first six months, you're really just dealing with the technical process, tools, systems, et cetera, figuring out who your team is, what their names are, their personalities. So uh, we started there and then naturally, and as you can imagine, we had uh, long tenured employees, we had those right at six months. And so that cohort environment also created a safe environment for those to learn from each other, as well as be challenged with new thinking, right? And mm -hmm. so we naturally have just our progress. We're about 50%, over 50% through offering it to our incumbents. Once we get through offering this to the incumbents, that we're going to continue to offer it for new hires at that six month of your onboarding with uh, an onboarding into role that's more focused on the technical, the systems, the tools for the first six months. And then you take this for the last six months in role. So you have a real one year onboarding, structured mm -hmm. onboarding process that's functional for the first six months and then cohort based across uh, the frontline leadership program. That's great. 
Well, Phil, as we wrap up, I'd love to hear, are there any other things that you've done that you're especially proud of that we haven't talked about yet that you feel like would be um, great to share with my listeners for them to think about how could we do this in our organization? Mm -hmm. Um, One thing we just did a different program. It's an emerging leader program for high potential managers into director roles. One thing we just piloted, we piloted first in one of our areas and now at a corporate function. And and it's something I think we should all consider. And it's back into this cohort immersive leading and we call them lightning rounds. And now in this program, it's smaller. There's only 15% participants. But in the program, every time they meet, they get an area leader who comes in as a guest and has real life scenarios that would happen in the function or possibly in that, that area. And they are challenged in one hour segments to come up with a solution. But the solution isn't just come to the solution. We start with a very structured approach around what questions would you ask, right? What's your analysis? And what's really exciting about it, I think there's opportunity for all of us to leverage because you're leveraging the talents of the team. So it's cohort leaning, learning. You're utilizing a subject matter expert here. It's in a leader role. And you're building the analysis questioning skills, mm-hmm. right? That is such a critical first space into solutioning. Right. Many times we jump to solutioning and imagine an operations role. That's what you do. Yet many times if you don't ask the right questions and get the right information, your solution is 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 off. And so we've called we call them lightning rounds. They're really exciting because it's a safe environment to try it out. Um, It also in that environment show who's willing to ideate and 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 challenge each other and be able to articulate a question that may not have been thought of before, innovate. And so it's also an opportunity to really, as you're looking at future leaders, which everyone is in the company, um, maybe we should consider more of that. So we've just been piloting that and it's really landing well here and it's really shifting the thinking and people and the participants are learning around the art of questioning and the importance of the questions you ask. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that in a, in a really quick, fast-paced environment. So just something to consider, you know, where it might land in other, other folks' programs. Yet we're seeing it work well here. That's great. Thank you for that additional piece. So I want to acknowledge you for all the amazing work you're doing there at WM and I congratulate you again. That is clearly after our conversation, a very well-deserved award and I know that you would be the first one to say it's not just you I Mm. understand that you've got a team of people but it also sounds like you just have an environment there that's so supportive of growth development um, taking risks learning I just love all the components that you've put together so beautifully in your program and want to thank you for joining me today to share all of that valuable information Well, thank you, Meredith. And I'm sure I have not done it justice. So if anyone wants to reach out to me, more than willing to share, you know, I really uh, uh, believe in that, Uh, you know, the sharing amongst ourselves. Uh, There was nothing proprietary here. It was more around just finding the right fit at the right moment, at the right time with the right team and the right audience. So I'm more than willing to share and then learn from others, right? um, Because I'm a lifelong learner and I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm a sharer, I believe. And that's how we're all going to grow. And uh, it's exciting then to, to be able to offer that and share with others because I know I've done it throughout my career. What's the best way for people to connect with you? You're on LinkedIn. Is yeah, that LinkedIn. The best to start? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. That's how you and I met. I know. <laughs> There's a lot of great people like you on that platform. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for your time today and for just being uh, a magnificent human being in my book. What oh, you're, thank you so what much. It's really special. So thank you for the ripple effect you're having with all those thousands of frontline leaders there and who they're impacting. It's it's the right way to go. And I love that you're people first. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.